Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is not a diving podcast, but Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, this week on the show, we are welcoming someone who's been running a label for 20 years. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I have been running a label for 20 years. However, I'm not the guest today. It's Damien Lazarus, as you will know from the title of this episode. But he's been running Crosstown Rebels for 20 years this year. And they are doing a bunch of stuff to celebrate, including Damien coming on the podcast to talk about it. So yeah, great to have him on. We actually don't talk that much about the actual label in the conversation this week. We talk more about the parties that they run, which I guess sort of support the work of the label. It's kind of part of the same thing, I guess. And we get into the kind of relationship between those two things during the course of the conversation. But yeah, so they do... Get Lost in Miami, which has been running for nearly 20 years, actually, since like 2006, I think it started. And also Day Zero in Tulum. And Damien, as we hear in the conversation, was a very early person in Tulum, way before the kind of circus that it has now become. And actually, Day Zero isn't, strictly speaking, in Tulum. It's in the general area, though. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit different to the kind of stuff you generally speaking see on Instagram as far as Tulum parties go. So yeah, great to have him on. Really great to have him on. Crosstown's a super influential label and they've just released some brilliant music over the years. So, yes, good stuff. We've got a two-hour conversation this week, so no need for me to prattle on too much in this intro. If you're new to the show, then you can support what we're doing here on Patreon. Patreon.com slash scuba official gets you through to the two options that we have. First of all, the solidarity tier, which is four US dollars a month, which gets you bonus podcasts and just the knowledge that you're supporting this amazing podcast in of itself. And then the musicality tier, which is 10 bucks a month, gets you all the music that we release on Hot Flush Recordings and affiliated labels ahead of time 
and in high quality download formats. So that's a pretty good deal, really. Either one of those two things is a pretty good deal. And if you found it in the kindness of your heart to support us in that kind of a way, we'd be really grateful. It really would help us keep the show on the road. So if you like it, then yeah, help us out. That would be very, very nice of you. If you can't, don't want to, that's also cool. Leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to this podcast. That does help. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. Lots of Crosstown Rebels records in that list this week. And join us up in Discord if you've got anything to say about the show. If you've got anything, any suggestions, any, you know, feedback, whatever. Hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord gets you into the Discord server. And if you are a Patreon member, I should point out, then there is a private area of that Discord just for Patreon supporters. Okay, with that, I'm going to shut up and we're going to get into our conversation with Mr. Crosstown Rebels. Without further delay, here is Damien Lazarus. Damien Lazarus, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? Cheers, Paul. It's uh, early morning here. I'm in a, in, in a, in a cupboard in the Beta Global radio station. They've kindly given me this space <laughs> to, uh, to come and sit and talk to you. So, yeah, I'm doing good, man. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. We were just, uh, we were just saying, uh, we were just chatting off air regarding your living arrangements. You're in Italy most of the time now, I take it. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, resident of Portugal. Um, um, I became a Portuguese resident um, just before Brexit. Um, you know, I wanted to maintain my European status, and uh, so Portugal uh, Portugal reached out. <laughs> there was there was a bit of a bun fight over who was going to get me, and um, yeah, no. So so yeah, I have a place there, and um, uh, have a have a nice spot in the uh, Italian countryside with the family. Um, and um yeah but right now i'm on the white island um because summer is here and you and you where are you you're in mallorca right yeah i'm in palma so yeah i've been here kind of on and off for, for a good few years now actually it's some very nice place to be i was actually yeah it's interesting you bring up brexit <clears throat> um i've actually got an irish passport so i kind of swerved all that stuff but oh good for you yeah I, I we haven't really talked about it on the show at all though really i mean there was lots of kind of doom mongering predictions for the future of touring around the time that it happened in the fuck you know the couple of years afterwards have you seen any i mean has it affected you in any kind of tangible way other than i mean in terms of like doing music i mean not me personally um th- i mean they there was the fear that that you were going to need a visa to travel to every city in Europe, right, at one point. And that that didn't really transpire as far as I can make out. Um, I've had a couple of artists that have attempted to fly over to some events that we've been doing that have, they've, they've had some issues. But, but um, no, yeah, there was a lot of... Um, doom-mongering as you said and um, I don't know if it really has come to pass but um, um, but I'm pleased I got out nevertheless I mean like don't get me wrong Paul I'm I'm, I'm pretty proud to be British um, in the sense that my my roots are there my 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 parents my grandparents my great-grandparents all from London and I feel a very strong sense of being a Londoner um, but I just felt that there was um i'd lost i'd lost my connection to the country you know i'd lost my my real sense of being and belonging and when brexit was was coming around and the political landscape being as bullshit as it was and um the 
the racism, the blatant racism that was going on. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's incredible to think that, um, you know, we now have a prime minister of eight, uh, of, of Indian descent <laughs> in a country that you know, voted to, you know... Um, you know, keep the keep the immigrants out. It's a bit of a paradox, that isn't it? Most ironic thing ever. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, I mean, ironically, you know, the, the current Home Secretary is probably the most right wing one I think I can remember is also of South Asian descent, right? It just doesn't seem completely to make sense, but yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. But you you were born in Ireland, were you? Or? No, I'm. I was born in London too, but my uh, mother's side of the family are all Irish. So as soon as the Brexit thing sort of was looming into <laughs> into view, I thought uh, I've got an opportunity to get a get a passport. I might as well get it done. And and yeah, it was been extremely useful because yeah, I mean I w- wouldn't be able to be living as as I'm living without it. Yeah. So well, you know the thing. I mean the, the main the main issue that we have now is like holding the UK passport when you arrive in certain countries. You have to take that non-European queue which is um, undoubtedly the busiest queue in the airport and um, so you know this it's just a little bit of extra time and aggravation that you have to go through now being um, being a Brit but um, but I'd left I'd left the UK um, some years earlier you know I'd, I got out I got out before all that had happened actually and I moved to Los Angeles in um, in 2008 um, uh, got swept up in the, the Barack Obama excitement. Um, right. <laughs> having, uh, well, I, actually, I had a, uh, I had, I had a bit of a, an epif- epiphany. Actually, I'd, I'd, I'd been, I'd been, uh, been playing in, I think, Denver um, on a US tour um, in 2007, I guess, and um, uh, obviously went to an after party as on his want to do and um, then um, got picked up in the afternoon by the driver had to go directly to the airport and um, and, he, and he warned me actually he said I've got to tell you there's probably going to be quite a bit of traffic because there's this uh, big event going on in the park and we have to drive through the park to get to the airport today because some of the roads are shut off um, we get to the park and there's like thousands of cars parked everywhere and I'm like well, what is it that's going on here and he said oh is this um, Senator Barack Obama he's giving his um, his um, you know um, presidential campaign speech in the park today uh, I was like can we do I have time to stop the car and he's like um, yeah don't see why not so um, I hot footed it out and um, I got into the, the back of the 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 event and there must have been like a hundred thousand people in the park there. I stood in the back and he's on the stage. Um, and he's just and he was literally just wrapping it up and it was like you know and together we can change the world. And um, <laughs> I, I, and this the 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 vibe was just so electric. I got massively caught up in it and felt very emotional. And I was like, well, if this dude gets into power, I'm I'm having some of that. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, um, and um, so yeah, that was one of the reasons why I, I uh, left the UK for for the US, and um, obviously was quite disappointed within just a couple of years <laughs> when not much changed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Obama presidency was a bit of um, I didn't. Yeah, I think it could never really live up to what was promised, though, could it? Probably, you know. Yeah, I mean. Uh, he had uh, aspirations beyond uh, all of our wildest dreams, I think. But I'll never forget that moment that he that he uh, won the election, and to see that, you know, to feel the power of the emotion of the just the the fact that it happened was an incredible feat. And um, and um, you know, I think that 
Um, everybody gave him the benefit of the doubt for the first few years, but you know he had the he had the house against him, and he, he couldn't really get through any of the idealistic dreams that he really wanted to to pursue. You know, and um, and that's the nature of uh, politics generally, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah, but, I uh, think particularly American politics is extremely difficult to get anything tangible done. Right, just the nature of the system there is, seems to be just stacked against any kind of meaningful shifts. Yeah, yeah. Why, why did you um, why did you move to Spain? Well, I was living in Berlin for a long time, and this is like much more prosaic than than your reason. Basically, I was fed up with Berlin winters and wanted to get out get out of the cold. I'm, yeah, slightly less profound. But, uh, I mean, Palmer's just, just a great place to be, really. And I, I don't know. I mean, I I, I kind of uh, was between here and London for a few years. And actually, having having been living in Berlin since, like, it was, like, middle of 2000, like, 2007, um, the, the week I moved back, half moved back to London, was the week of the Brexit vote. And it couldn't really have been a, a worse time. Because, I mean, as you said, like, the... Um, I don't know, just the atmosphere in the country around that point was, it was just notably bleak, you know, and it uh, couldn't really have been any different to... Oh, so having, night- having Nicholas Farage nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, I mean, beyond a joke, right? Just terrible. But I mean, anyway, let's let's move on to 20 Years Across Town, or I mean, there are, there are a few sort of peripheral things I want to talk about. I mean, I, I've re- been reading the book that you're releasing to commemorate it. Mm. Most of the text written up by Joe Muggs, who's a great writer, and I have to say he's done a great job job with it. It's, um, it's com- compelling stuff. Yeah, he, there's not many great music journalists out there these days, are there? But Joe Muggs, for sure, is one of the best. <laughs> and um, Well, yeah, that's that's a, that's a topic that we've we've discussed quite a lot. And actually, I've got it on my list because you, you have been a music journalist in the past, have you not? Many years ago. I, I have, that is true, yeah, yeah. I was... Um yeah, I was a. Um, um, uh, I wrote for a, a number of magazines, just doing some of the odd reviews here and there, like when I was starting out, and um, um, uh, I think Trace magazine and um, um, Dazed. I was just doing the odd bits here and there, and I was working for Straight No Chaser magazine. Um, I had been interviewing a bunch of my. Um, uh, heroes d- d- uh, during that period, um, and then I got the I got offered a job at uh, as assistant editor and music editor at, at Dazed and Confused. So yeah, so I, d- I did my time as a as a music journalist. But actually, once I got into Dazed, whilst I was writing, um, you know, pretty much like one well, at least one feature every issue, so every month, I was I was I was kind of um, commissioning more than actually writing. Uh, during that time and there were some amazing um, writers around during that little period there but but these days um, very few but yeah Joe Joe is an incredible writer and, and it's interesting I spent for, for the story of this 20 years for to putting this book together um, um, I, um, I I wasn't sure you know how this was going to roll out because you, you know you, you do interviews generally when you're releasing a new record or you're um you know got something specific to talk about but this job was actually talking about 20 years of my life you know so it was it was more of a more of a biographical situation than a than a regular interview and we we met um for a, a number of hours um in london and um i think the first 
the first meeting we were supposed to just meet for two hours and chat but I think five hours later we were still on it and um, and then we did an extra two or three sessions on the phone um, but um, what was incredible for me to you know see the difference between you know I've, someone that really knows what they're doing and just someone that's just in it just to kind of get free music <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> which a lot of music journalists generally are um, free guest lists and free tunes um, but um, what Joe managed to do was managed to pull together a number of threads throughout my life and the story of the label that I had never really considered and um and when you read what um, the incredible piece that he's written in this book, it's it it makes so much more sense. Like the 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 whole journey, you know, it's like he's made connections of things that happened to me or something that someone said to me when I was like a kid, um, or you know, certain incidents that happened the first time I went to a party or you know, little little minor little things I've mentioned to him. He's kind of made connections with the way that I've I work these days and the what the reason why certain things have happened over the years, and I thought that was extremely intelligent of him to be able to. Um, see those things and, and, and put it together in such a coherent and well-written way yeah I mean it's it does read extremely well and uh, I think I'm not what well, we're going to find out if, if we have the same opinion on what those themes are I mean I had I had a first question written down which I haven't answered, asked yet which I will do so now um, which is which is possibly one of those themes it's certainly one of the things that I draw out of it and that was just the kind of raw hedonism which kind of is uh, pretty apparent actually throughout and I mean, there's a particularly memorable line about using the use of ketamine to appreciate music a little bit more uh, which just stuck out to me but the, the question I had though I mean does that does that mentality still exist in quite the same way just bringing it up to now for a moment and we're obviously going to go back and go through this story but like in terms of the way this, the scene is today is that hedonistic kind of mentality still such a prevalent thing can you build what you built in, on that kind of foundation if, if you if that's fair yeah it uh, that's a that's an excellent question um uh, I well look I mean to put it into some context I I I felt that um, the place where I'm at in my life right now, and the listen, the fact that my my mum knows all about my you know party days, uh, party experiences, you know, gives me a good reason to kind of just be honest about it with people, you know. And I f I figure that um, you know the story of Crosstown Rebels doesn't really make any sense if you don't talk about the fact that like most of the people involved in my crew, you know, love to party, <laughs> and um, including me. And uh, and I, and I felt that you know if, if I'm ever going to really tell the real proper story of the label um, and what this whole thing has all been about for the past 20 years, it has to be very honest and um, and open. So so yeah, I mean. There were moments over the years where certain um, uh, pharmaceuticals uh, uh, led to um, various kind of alleyways and um, doorways to, to new sounds and, it, and musical experiences that I don't think um, I would have maybe experienced had I not... Um, tampered with these illegal substances. Um, and But I... In, in terms of today, um, I it's I think it's difficult to to say. I'm not 
really um it you know when i'm when i'm djing now it's generally you know quite big spaces quite a lot of people it's quite dark out there i don't see much gurning going on (laughs) 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 Um, from from my from my perspective it's difficult to see what um what is going down on the dance floors um i mean for sure um there are some nasty drugs out there um and I'd like to just preempt this by saying that I don't advocate the use of drugs to, for young people, but I don't. At the same time, I'm fully aware that it's just part and parcel of life's, uh, you know, um, cycle. You know, and, uh, exper- people want to experience stuff. Um, I've always told people when they ask me, you know, about certain drugs that you know, just make sure you know what you're doing and always do them with people that you trust and um, and you know and, and and just be careful and. Um, and uh, but I don't know really what's going on out there. I know that 2CB is something that loads of people seem to be doing around the world. Um, it's not something that I'm um, like personally. Um, um, I mean, who wants to walk around with a pink nose? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that that I think that's definitely taken over from the ketamine thing I think we went from I think there was a period of like going from K to G to 2CB and I think that's kind of where we're stuck at the moment Um, I played at a party the other day and I was in the green room and someone put a bunch of wraps on the table for everyone that was around and it like um, and then uh, I saw people kind of picking them up and opening it and then the guy was like oh by the way it's speed (laughs) (laughs) It was funny for me to see that bunch of people going like whether they were going to take it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I I had to stick my oar in and say I haven't done speed since I was about seventeen years old, and that was the last time. (laughs) I swore I'd never do it again. So so go for your life. Um, But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what 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 do you think? What's your experience of it right these days? Well, I think. I think that people definitely still take drugs. I mean, for sure. I mean, people are still getting wasted. There's, there's no doubt about that. I guess what I was getting at with it is like, to what extent is it still like a key part of the sort of mythology around the whole thing? And a kind of like, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of way. I've asked that question of a couple of other people. I mean, people who have, uh, you know, been around. I, I asked DJ Pippi actually this, whether sex, drugs and rock and roll was the same as it perhaps was like the first time round, if you know what I mean. And he was kind of equivocal about it. And I don't know. I mean, it's like it's it's difficult to have like a firm handle on, like like I said, with the, with the caveat that clearly people are getting wasted, right? I just don't know how, how much it's still like uh, is this kind of sort of romanticized kind of a thing with the current generation. I just I don't know if that's true. Uh, I don't know. I think I think the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. I think that the the drugs part of that. Um, in the way that we probably think about it in terms of like late 60s, early 70s, um, the psychedelic days and, you know, the, you know, the, the, the stones and, and I think, and, and the doors, I, I think it's more related, the drugs of, the, of that nature are generally more related to heroin. Um, and I, I don't think that that's really ever been an issue in the world of electronic music. Maybe... I've known of a few people over the years that have gone down that road, um, but it's not really... 
Um, so I think that there is a, there is a very strong connection between the inverted commas sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the you know rock and roll generation and a connection to you know the lifestyle of DJs. I think there are strong connections there, um, but I think it's quite different. Um, and um, I don't know. I think these days it's so um, you're walking such a uh, a, a dangerous tightrope, um, you know, if you're taking drugs in clubs, you know, you don't know what's it's been cut with. You've got um, fentanyl, which is now a big issue. Um, and, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, that, you know, the Dutch always had the, 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 the best policy, didn't they? The, the, the on-site testing of pills. Um, and, I, I, you know, I kind of wish that... Um, there was a lot more of that and there was a, a lot more uh, openness um, about, uh, you know, d- drug use. Um, and, um, I mean, I just read the other day that um, isn't um, um, cocaine um, sales, like, just gone through the roof um, in recent recent testing. Um, did you hear that? You mean the, well, the purity has gone through the roof? No, 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 the usage. Oh, OK. Just just to how many, how much people do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kinda, it kind of makes sense. I mean, a, a question I was going to ask, actually, because, you know, you're absolutely right about heroin and how it's, you know, obviously dance music, I mean, the, the classic thing is actually, but then, as you said, there's kind of, there's been this kind of, like, cycle of what the popular drug at any given time is. And actually, quite a lot of the time, uh, in music scenes, generally, music reflects the kind of drugs that are being taken, or or vice versa, right? And you, know, you mentioned fentanyl, like obviously one of the, the big kind of drugs, sort of. Um, I don't know what the word to use is <laughs> drugs trends unfortunate trends maybe of the last 20 years has been the op- opioids thing but obviously that's slightly peripheral to electronic music but actually what it's been a, a real feature of is like, a certain kind of hip hop and you can really hear it in in, a, in that certain kind of hip hop you can hear that kind of like real kind of like absolutely almost yeah. like heroin it's, it's very similar to heroin actually the, the kind of vibe of it but I mean you meant that slow trappy sound yeah yeah, yeah exactly you can just hit you can hear the fucking opioids in that music yep. 100% yep. but I mean did you did you detect, detect that in the you know what, what you described as going from K to, to G to 2CB have you detected that in the music in an explicit kind of a way in, in, in the dance mm, well maybe I, th- I think that you know the, in, the, the thing the, the moments I think you're referring to mainly from from the, the, the book uh, is the, the moment that I you know the, the year that we me and my crew kind of did some heavy exp- experimenting with ketamine. It was around 2004, 2005. And I think that that, that particular drug really opened up some like certain channels that, that, that I didn't really know existed you know, before. And I was hearing sounds in a completely different way. And, um, and everything was starting to get a bit weirder, a bit wonkier. And you could definitely hear that in the music of um, someone like Ricardo, for example. Um, you know, and the the and the the, the, the just the tri- more trippy psychedelic s- sounds just started to 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 come to the fore a lot more. There, uh, I would say that maybe with um, the move out of that into G. I mean, to be honest, G. I don't think people's usage of G, as I can, if, if I'm right in saying, 
is more kind of after pies as opposed to like at the main party although there was quite a few moments I remember because some years ago of like you know oh, this one's just G'd out over there and you know that one's just been taken to the hospital straight out of the club over there um, so um, but I don't think it was I don't think it was particularly like a party drug I don't know I never really dabbled with it to be honest um, I did it once um, I think the first time I did it was in um, um, was in um, the Velvet was it the Vel what was that club on Tottenham Court Road that Carl Cox had a night Velvet Rooms Velvet Rooms yeah I was in the Velvet Rooms with um um, Jason Jones that used to work at Mowax with um, running the excursions label and my friend Tim Goldsworthy um, um, one half of uh, Uncle and um, um, and um, we we were um, celebrating a friend's birthday and um, God this is 20 years ago and um, yeah so we had some GHB and we, someone it was being passed around. Someone spilt it on the like they had like a tabletop like where the drinks were, and it got spilt on the on the <laughs> top of the table there, and it literally took the paint off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it happen, and I was like, "What the fuck are, you, are we putting in ourselves?" <laughs> and actually, that 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 um, that night did actually end with somebody being rushed to hospital. So. Um, that was the um, it wasn't me by the way uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, that was I think pretty much the, I think I did it once after that but I, I never really touched that shit that was like that's some horrible horrible bullshit but on saying that I have some other friends that do take it and I s s noticed them just recently at a party and I was thinking wow they're super bubbly tonight uh, <laughs> and uh, they seem to be having a great time so um, you know who's to say right yeah, I mean, what you said about ketamine is really interesting, actually, because I mean, it has this kind of slightly um, off-kilter reputation. But I have had similar experiences on it where it's... it's Because it is psychedelic, fundamentally, I think. Certainly, 100%, you can yeah. have those experiences on it, absolutely. And I, I've had uh, one or two experiences on, on K where, you know, really profound out-of-body experiences that stick with you you know like you know a really uh, heavy kind of meditation kind of session can do you know it's like it really has that um it can have that effect absolutely but it's not it's a kind of counterintuitive thing as well because it's not you wouldn't think that to be a, a party drug but i mean that that time period in particular it was the kind of minimal drug of choice wasn't it i mean those um you know, yes it was yeah and i think that yeah it wasn't it's not really a when when you see someone uh, in a K hole on a dance floor, it's like horrific. It's the worst. It's the last thing you want to see. But but because it's a very insular thing, so I think it's more it's more like a self uh, motivated like m music experience. So you know, for, like I said, we 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 were kind of um, dabbling with it. You know, at more after parties, not in the actual club, uh, and. Um, You'd just be like listening to some weird and wonky music and just think, wow, okay, now this is making so much more sense. And um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, um, it definitely helped my musical uh, direction. Um, I definitely um, opened up some, some new avenues for me uh, musically, and I think uh, uh, it helped me to 
follow a, a, a musical path that I uh, that I, I I'm, I'm still experimenting and working with today, which is which is a more psychedelic sound, you know, a more um, trippy and weird um, um, uh, take on on electronic music. That's kind of where I I sit very comfortably now musically, but it, I'm not taking that drug every night of the week to kind of get there anymore you know <laughs> yeah that's handy <laughs> okay so one of the things i definitely want to talk about in depth are the the part the various parties that you guys have done around the label like you know there's there's definite like it's a kind of supporting thing i guess and, and really the, the first question i wanted to kick off with uh, on this topic was like to what extent was the the idea of having kind of these kind of experiential things to support the label I mean to what extent what is the re- what is the relationship there I guess is my question the relationship between the parties and the label yeah yeah and, and how much was it a kind of like a sort of a calculated thing if that's the right word maybe that's not um, the right word but like, you know for sure how not, much of a strategy was it yeah for, for sure not a strategy uh, for something that that that, that that uh, made itself aware to, uh, you know apparent to me over over time um i think that um you know like like most labels starting out in london 20 years ago um my first um attempts at making a party were, were very small the first thing that we did was a, a party called slash and burn it was at the key which was part of the the bagley's complex in king's cross um and um um i did this um once a month party called slash and burn i um um paul tubbs was uh, promoting it with me um and um it was the first opportunity i had to kind of pull together all the the first new artists uh, that i was working with on the label uh this is like a, a monthly thing like andy weatherall played you know kiki and silver surfer rob mello ewan pearson um i remember bringing over people like phonique jennifer cardini and so this is like the first time that people were experiencing like a bunch of these new artists that we were working with on the label um and then from that one i i, I started this um well i did a, did a couple of like warehouse parties with jamie jones um um before jamie had his label he was doing this thing called djs can dance um and he, he and i and james holden actually put together a couple of warehouse project uh, warehouse parties um um it was like a crosstown rebels and border community thing which was uh, which was really dope and so i guess at, the, at, at that point i was already seeing you know something like something how we how i could like um, branch out from just doing something on my own do have create an experience with other people um bring more ideas into the into the pot as opposed to just doing something you know by you, by yourself um and then then after that i met um um i had like a very fun experience with michael mayer um and um from compact and uh, uh he and i um created the party called stink um um, with uh, working with uh, Jamie Ritchie and uh, Darren Smart uh, at the Tea Bar in London, um, and that was and again that was like me and another label combining to um, bring something new together for London, um, and that was uh, an incredible um, monthly event um, on a Monday night, uh, and then 
Uh, I th- let me let me just stop you there. Let me let me let me jump in. What year was that? Just so I can place this. Okay, so um, Stink would have been 2007, 2006, 2007, and we did uh, we did the first Monday of the month uh, at the T Bar. I think it was like three quid to get in. Um, on the opening night, we had about fifteen hundred or two thousand people queuing up Shoreditch High Street to get in. Um, it was a phenomenal uh, success, and um, and um, you know, I had like cozy super picture um, Jamie. You know, Jamie warming up still, I guess, around at that time, and we had like. Minilog play live. I think Matthew Johnson played. You know, it was like it was a who's who of like you know what was happening in the in our scene and the minimal scene and the Cologne scene. Um, Conrad Black, Matthew Deer. You know, uh, then we had like one night we had Mr. C on the mic. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> really? yeah. So it was just like it was an incredible kind of melting pot of like lo- London's co- coolest and finest like party people. Um, and I think at that point. Um, I, I'd started, I guess my DJing like, career was just starting to go up an, another little notch there around that time, 2006. So I'm starting now to kind of see the world a little bit more and, and travel around and have my eyes open to to new ideas and, um, and you know, p- party scenes around the world. So, and I think I'd realised at the end of, you know, bringing Stink in London to, to a halt, I think I'd realised that I was almost ready to kind of, like, like knock London on the head and, and, and move on. And that was around, like I said, 2008 when I moved to LA. Um, but I think really and truthfully, the, the, the big... The big turn for me was uh, in 2010 when I went to Burning Man for the first time. Okay, let me let me let, let me stop you there because th- this is this is something that I want to get into in, in depth. But let me just ask you a question about the early parties first. Like, how useful was it for you for running the label to have these events going on? Like, to, to what extent was it a key part of like the, the early development of the label? Oh, it was massive. It was massive because you know I'm, I'm, I'm like discovering new artists from all over the world, but to the the, the 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 bigger world out there they're just a, a name on a record or uh and you know i wanted to try to bring these people to life more you know and but and one of the ways to do that is to to create an event or create a party where you can bring this person over and people can go right okay i've heard that guy's record i've heard this girl's music i want to now can see them play see what they're about and you know nine times out of ten all these people that i'm working with are just like you or i like you know hedonistic madness <laughs> <laughs> um s- super cool people that like you know um are now part of the crew you know and um uh, and so yeah i think very important to 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 marry uh up uh label releases with with parties it kind of really gives uh, it really but it gives you an opportunity to kind of like uh make your record a 3d mm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> turn yeah. it into a 3d yeah. an- animation you know <laughs> where you can like you know create a create a vibe around uh the record and then of course you get to that big moment when the artist plays the record and the place goes absolutely berserk you know and then it's like you know suddenly a new career has begun you know so so yeah really, I, I always thought it was a really important thing but actually I was doing it before Crosstown Rebels you know when I had the City Rockers label um, from um, like around 2000 and 2001 you know we, we, did, we did two 
two similar things there. But we had an office in... Um, so City Ruckus was a label that I, I ran with um, this guy, Phil Howes. We both worked at FFRR, and we came out of there and started this label, City Ruckus. And we, we, we pitched up a, an office in Curtain Road uh, above the Strong Room studios in um in shoreditch uh which at that point was like the, the epicenter of london's call you know and uh and we um we well i i just i one, one afternoon i was walking 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 around the area and just um 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 aimlessly <laughs> aimlessly walking around the area and I um, I, I think no, I think I'd gone over to Spitalfields Market because I think there was a, some dude selling records over there that I wanted to go and check out and um, and uh, as I was walking across the road I came across this like this this these steps going down in the in the pavement uh, opposite the market and I was like oh I wonder where this is going to lead me uh, it's always had a bit of a nose for for uh, experience uh, you know, for for, for uh, experimenting in places I probably shouldn't have put my nose into. So, but I walked down these steps, and it turned out to be um, public life, which um, oh, yeah. um, okay. which is yeah. Uh, and um, there was a guy there um, alone, and he was fixing up something in the bar. And there was there was a bar there, and I'm like, oh, this is a public toilet. And I'm like, sorry, dude, but what what is this place? And he said, oh, it's um, it's like an art gallery. Um, I was like, "How long has it been here?" And he's like, "Well, not that long, but um, I'm just I'm the new owner, and I'm just sorting something out." And I said, um, but "Have you ever thought about having a party here?" And he said, "Oh no, we've done like um, a little thing. We had an uh, art exhibition here and a party after recently." And I was like, "Okay, can I? Do you mind if I come back in a couple of hours with my my, my partner?" <laughs> so hot footed it back to the office, and I said to Phil, "I was like, I've just found this fucking mental place." Um, and uh, we, we, we go over there together and he's like, wow. And we just sat there and we we're like, how can we bring City Rockers to life in London? Like, how can we, what can we do to, we can use this space. This is around the corner from our office. And we sat there and we brainstormed it. And um, we came up with um, Friday afternoon um, every week for 10 weeks that summer. Uh, we would put, put a party on in this place. But Friday afternoon, like from 2 p.m., the idea being that no one should have to work after 2pm on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so we, we had, um, you know, but um, we had, um, well, the invitation was like a, because you know, Phil was a big um, fan of The Clash. Um, uh, Joe Stromer used to wear this um, red, white and, red, white and blue like a sweatband so we made these we, we bought a bunch of those and then we attached like uh, the information for the party on, onto, the, onto this uh, sweatband and then we just handed that out to people and the, that was the, the invite to the party and, uh, and then within, um, within 10 weeks we had like Jarvis Cocker and the Strokes on the dance floor um, Felix the Housecat DJing um, doing a live link up to Pete Tong on Radio 1 it was like it just went off um, and so that was like one of the first kind of big things that I've I, I'd experienced like you know having an idea um, uh, and just like really like putting it into action and, and seeing seeing it work and then making sure you got the right people around you to kind of help facilitate that and then we took that part we took that idea and then we found this other um, place called Cynthia's Robotic Bar which was in in uh, London Bridge 
I don't know if you ever went there, but um, they had this like robots that would serve drinks. Um, it was kind of weird and okay. very ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, and um, and again we did a similar thing there, and we called we called the party Twenty First Century Body Rockers, which linked in very nicely with City Rockers. Um, and the re and the residents were were too many DJs, Errol Alkin, FC Kahuna, and myself. And then we'd have guests, and I'd fly in like DJ Hell played his one of his first shows in London there, uh, Miss Kitten. And an alien came. Um, we had the Scissor Sisters uh, have an, an aborted mission to play a live set, but <laughs> um, uh, that's another story. Um, but um, but yeah, so so building building a, uh, an event around a label was something that I, I'd already experienced. But you know, by the time I started uh, Crosstown Rebels the following year, so so yeah, um, like I was aware that. Like a sonar, for example, within the first couple of years of starting Crosstown Rebels in 2003, where I was doing the first, like, I was, uh, I was pitching up a, a, a Crosstown Rebels, put sticking our flag in the sand in sonar and saying, okay, we're, we're a label, we should have a, our own party with our own artists and our own vibe. Um, but um, so, yeah, I'd say v v it was always a really, really important thing for me. But, but yeah, it wasn't really until going to Burning Man in 2010 that I really started to appreciate the idea of what an experience could really be. Okay, yeah, so so Burning Man. Uh, I've never been to Burning Man, so uh, I've tried to pump a few people on this show for information about it with varying degrees of success. So I wonder, I wonder if you can give us a, uh, a vivid description of what it's like or what it was like when you first went. I try and I try I try and recall my first trip. Um, so uh, I heard quite a fair bit about Burning Man for in the, uh, having moved to LA in two thousand and eight, especially from people like um, the Wolf and Lamb guys, Soul Clap guys, and Denise Curtell, who was signed to Crosstown. Um, that crew, um, actually, it was that crew and Lee Burridge, the, the people that I knew had were already had some involvement with Burning Man um, but uh, Zev and Gaddy from um, Wolf and Lamb they'd been going since 2001 um, and um, we actually um, we made a we made a film about it the, uh, one of our Rebel Raid films about it you can you can see them talking about it in that it's, it's really real eye opener but I remember um, talking with them about it and trying to I didn't want to know too much I just wanted to make sure that this is something that I should definitely check out so so um, my my then girlfriend and I at the time living in LA decided that okay we're going to go it's 2010 um, and uh, we didn't really know how or who to kind of pitch up with when we got there um, so we decided to basically organise our own camp now anyone that has been to Burning Man would know that generally um, most camps are around you know 20 to 30 of your best mates and you'll pitch up together and create your 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 headquarters for the week um, because as you know Burning Man is like a seven day event um, where you're you know left to your own devices and you have to bring everything in order to survive the week's uh, um, you know what, what, the week's experiences whatever that may be bad weather dangerous you know conditions 
eating, <laughs> you know, not 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 dehydrating, etc. So you need to be very well prepared for all the elements and um, um, in advance. So w- w- we'd had like a couple of people kind of give us a bit of a kind of do's and don'ts list in advance, but we didn't really know what we were doing. So I just kind of put put it out into the world within my my crew and artists on the label and friends that okay we're going to go and do this thing Burning Man do you want to join us and we had 110 people sign up to come with us on our first year of Burning Man um, uh, yeah it was a massive undertaking building a, a, a your first ever camp for 110 people that have never been before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. uh, but that's that's essentially what happened. But it was like, you know, that was like, you know, Jamie and uh, Lee Foss and, you know, a bunch of like, artists that you know, you know, and friends and related um, industry people. And, um, and uh, we pulled it off. And, um, um, but to answer your question about the, um, the experience um, so I decided to drive that first year we rented an RV I, um, I, I lived on the top of a, uh, a big hill in, um, in Echo Park in Los Angeles uh, and it was virtually impossible to get the RV up the hill um, <laughs> in, in order to pack it full of all our stuff our bikes and all the the, the crazy amount of stuff that we'd like prepared um to take for the camp and everything um so that was a major mistake number one (laughs) so it kind of that put us back a few hours when we had to like start you know (laughs) up and down the hill in various cars and to pack the (laughs) rv and then of course i i I, and then we pulled over into uh uh, about five minutes i'd never driven one of these things before it's fucking huge this thing and um i'd never driven one and i um we stopped uh, a best buy to pick up a bunch of like electric stuff that we needed and of course I, I, I drove into the back of somebody uh, within, <laughs> within 10 minutes <laughs> it was like oh god this is going to be a fucking disaster um, but, uh, but then yeah we, but then we did the drive and, um, and I have to say that that really added something special to the whole experience you know doing the drive from LA to to uh, to Black Rock City in Nevada, um, with a with a stop overnight, uh, where we tried to you know get a, a little bit of rest um, into like hour twelve of the journey or whatever. But of course, none of us could really sleep because we were all too excited. So, um, <laughs> so we, we got back in and uh, cracked on driving, and it took about I think door to door was about eighteen hours. So then we so then we arrive you arrive and then you're in like this kind of queue. Suddenly you you know you've been driving alone for hours and hours and hours and then and now you're in this kind of queue that's forming and you don't quite know what's going on where you're going. You start seeing these like flags and um, posters that are give, telling you like kind of esoteric kind of. Um, uh, little kind of quotes and things to to just kind of get your mind wandering and um, you know don't look back just look forward you know shit like that you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um, and then um, you know then you then you arrive because you've already got your tickets and then you know the rangers um, stroke police kind of come on board into your vehicle and 
uh, they're checking for drugs and you know and, and, and stuff and you're like wow okay this is pretty serious this this thing right now <laughs> uh, we're now we're now about to get in and, that, and then you get in and then the first thing you do is you as a newbie arriving into Burning Man it sounds a bit a little bit lame now but, but it's but, uh, on your first experience it's a, it's a must do you, know, you have to um, you have to kind of lay down like on in the in the in the 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 desert sand and roll around to the sound of a bell um, kind of like it's a wonderful life you know when the when the sound <laughs> of the bell uh, angel gets right. their wings uh, so it's that idea <laughs> wow, and you're okay. as, as a newbie you're then uh, you're, you're 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 brought into the world of burning man and then uh, and then you're like okay so this is like a huge expanse of land there's some weird mutant vehicles driving around there's like mm, weird Strange looking, na- mainly naked people walking around. There's like, but it's the day one, so there's a lot of people just like, there's a lot of moving around, like, just trying to figure stuff out. And then, you know, then we, you do, you start creating your camp. All your, friend, all your friends are pitching in. We're trying to figure out how to put a tent up and, like, you know, where's the sound system going to go and where we're going to build the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. But then it gets to night time and then you go out at night. And I tell you what, Paul, the first time you step out at night and you go into the Esplanade, which is like the central area where um, most of the mutant vehicles will be driving around, and you go and like visit the, the various art installations at night and you just see for the first time, like, this, this place lit up with multiple multicolored lights it's it's a phenomenal experience and um and uh i got hooked immediately i like wow this is this is a bit of me i love this 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 whole experience and the fact that at any moment uh a sandstorm can like whip up and if you if you have to be prepared you have to be you have to have like uh goggles and like you know covering for your mouth and your nose and uh and uh you need to have some water nearby and they have these things you know that they use in the army which they call camel packs i think and that you know it's like a like a um like a uh, i guess like a plastic kind of um, container where you put your water and you've got like a big like plastic straw thing that comes out um, rubber straw thing that comes out of it rather and you can just sip on that as you're going through because you can get stuck in a sandstorm uh, and it can last for anything from like two minutes to two hours where there's complete whiteout. You, you can't see anything you literally can't see anything you can't see the person that you were standing next to like two seconds ago um, and it's really like disarming and bewildering be- be- bewildering you like where the fuck am I what's going on and it's pretty scary stuff so um, but just that whole idea of like actually just being out in the elements and just being completely responsible for your life <laughs> in a way that you're not, you're not usually but then having this experience where people are coming together helping each other just being the best possible versions of themselves with 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 strangers um and it, it, it that is the thing that really opened up my my eyes and i, I realized that um it's the creation of um it's the creation of something very special that's like very well thought out, very well considered, that has a very strong artistic sense that really helped me kind of open my eyes to kind of building my own experiences, i.e. Get Lost or Day Zero. Um, and um, and just that com- communal feeling of like working and playing with like, you know, people that you really love and admire and and, and um 
and uh, the coming together of great minds and great ideas and um, and, and art and music and um, uh, yeah, I uh, I haven't been for the last um, four years. I was going to go this year, but um, ended up I'm not not going to be heading back again this year. But uh, but talking about it now, I, I can't wait to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. It's funny. I mean, you, you said that it's sort of really well designed. I mean, the uh, well, the received wisdom I had was that it was it's quite um, freeform in the way that uh, installations are um, supplied. You know, you can rock up and, and build your own shit, right? It's, I mean, to what extent are those two things uh, relate to each other? Yes, you can. So um, you, there's like there's two sec. I'd say there's two two sections to it. There's the there's the um, um, I don't know if you can picture it, but you know it's like if you if you're looking f- at Burning Man from a aerial view from above, uh, it's like a clock face. Uh, so the and the outside perimeter is the uh, is where people camp, right? Uh, and that's separated by streets and roads on a, like a grid, uh, and then so people can build whatever they want within their camp area um so any art that you want to show or design or, or create there you can do that pretty much um without um provide you know within reason you know for t- t- down to size or whatever you can pretty much do whatever you want to do um in that area in your own camp environment and people can come and visit that you know anytime but then in the the main kind of let's say public area which is the esplanade and the the, the deep player so when the, from the middle of the clock moving out um uh, is that kind of area where it's all uh high level um large installation and art pieces which you need um to get either um um, funding for or um, you need approval uh, and you need to kind of submit your design and ideas and you know the the Burning Man authorities need to um, you know check that what you're building is safe and all the rest of it so um, so but that's where the the real the real magic is because that's where you see you know the uh, the temple, which is one of the most incredible things about Burning Man, actually, is the temple, which I don't know if you know, but um, every year they uh, this incredible um, temple is created. It's a different design every year, uh, and it's the place where people bring an artifact or a um, uh, a memory or something that they've written or drawn or painted, uh, which is in a commemoration to someone or something that has passed away uh, in the last 12 months. So, hypothetically, you might have lost your a parent um, or a loved one or a pet, and uh, um, this is the place where you bring something that you've created in advance of Burning Man to bring specifically to the temple and attach it within the, the, the interior of... Um, the temple so you'll find so you arrive there and it's the it's completely silent inside unless there's a musician playing some form of beautiful kind of ambience um and um and um most of the people inside are you know very emotional there's a lot of crying um and um so you go in there and you you know you put your own memorial on the wall um or you just walk around and read other people's, and it's um, extremely uh, emo- uh, emotional and um, comforting f- 
feeling because you um, totally established that you know we're all on this planet suffering from the same losses and uh, uh, emotions and, and, and issues in our lives, and it's, and it's a very uh, uh, very special place. And then at the end of the the, the end of the week, the the temple is burnt down. So the entire festival gathers around the temple to watch it burn down. That's the, the that's the Sunday night that they burn the man on the Saturday right. night. They burn the man okay. on they burn the man on the Saturday night. So there's a um, uh, and then there's like a big party afterwards. And then on the Sunday night, the entire festival comes around at the the perimeter of the temple in silence to watch the temple burn and it's the moment where um, a hundred thousand people basically come together and you know consider what they've just experienced over the last seven days and just have a moment of reflection and that's pretty much the end of the festival and you know for me that, that must be pretty intense right? Ex- extremely yeah it's extremely intense and like you know in my my previous i've, I've been 10 times i think um yeah 10 times and um and you know, for me, that is that's the end. I don't want to party after that. You know, it's nice to go back and yeah, you know, hang, out, hang yeah. out, hang out with your friends, and you've got to dismantle your camp or whatever, and um, start getting yourself prepared to to get the fuck out of there. But um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, but for me, that's like just that that, that whole thing. You know, it, this is something that someone had an idea to create this thing, and then 100,000 people were there in silence you know experiencing this moment and um you know and this is you know i think that's uh, this is what one of the things that like really kind of helped me kind of start to um look think outside the box with you know how to how to create an experience around you know this music that we're doing and and, the, and the, our our whole our whole I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P experience you know right yeah so you mentioned get lost and day zero uh which were the two um parties i really had in mind when i asked this last initial question that brought us here so tell me how well yeah give me some detail in in terms of like how your thoughts sort of crystallized into these two tangible things as a result of this experience yeah well get get lost and actually started back in 2005 so that was um get lost was my kind of first um attempt at creating like a u.s version of a party that would suit um the label uh and i did it um i started it with um uh, at Winter Music Conference in Miami, uh, I, I re- I'd realised that there wasn't many places for people to go and basically just get wasted after the most of the clubs 
and the parties would close. Uh, and I'm thinking more about the DJs and our crew. Uh, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so I created this like after hours um, party called Get Lost. Uh, uh, it was very much. Um, its origins were actually in in you know what we were talking about earlier with the the ketamine uh, experiences because the I'd made this mix CD which I had written on the CD you know I just called it it was like I'd, I'd, I'd made it as a as a result of a summer experimenting with ketamine and I'd made this mix it was super trippy and out there uh, play you know music being played at half speed and then you know just weird and wonky sounds and then I called it Ket Lost and um, it um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then this CD kind of somehow managed to kind of make its way around the island and around some and by the time I got back to the uh, to Ibiza the following summer people were asking me you know Oh, I heard Ket Lost. How can I get a copy of it? Oh, you know, I've heard about this thing called Ket Lost that you did, and I was like, oh, actually, there's there's something there might be something in there. So, so when it came to like deciding I wanted to do a party in in Miami, I was like, okay, I'm going to call it. I can't call it Ket Lost, but I'll call it Get Lost. Uh, and that that so that was the start of that. And it, like I said, it was like it just started as an after hours. Uh, I remember the first year it was like Pierre Bucci, uh, me, Matthew Styles, I think Jamie Jones playing. And um, was it at Electric Pickle? No, it was um, uh, in its first year. It was in a place called Studio A, which was next door space. Um, oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did it there for t- the first two years. But it was like like Sasha was on the dance floor, just having it. You know, it was like one of these things. Is like <laughs> I wanted to, so I wanted to create something where the DJs would come and just hang out after work. You know, um, and so, um, but it would have it would bear the name of Crosstown Rebels. So it was like you know something that would I could like bring all my crew to have them play, but also it would be like an an in, in, in industry type thing with DJs just hanging out and partying together in a public space, you know. And um, and then after two years, I, I discovered this place called Circa 28, which um, was in Wynwood, and um, I moved the party there. And, um, the, um, and there was a guy that came to that party called Will, and he saw the... He saw the space, and then bought it and uh, and changed its name to Electric Pickle. So, oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I, um, so then, um, uh, and then uh, we, I was from day one. The party started at five a.m. in the morning, um, and then but Electric Pickle had this kind of outdoor like terrace, um, and as the party was just starting to get like busier and busier. I was like, well, why don't we... Can we open the terrace at, like... We're still open at 5am inside, but can we maybe open the terrace at, like, 9 or 10 in the morning and have, like, a, another area of music going? And uh, after a lot of um, back and forth, uh, we were able to make that happen. So now I had this kind of, like, indoor after-hour scenario, but then people rocking up a bit later after breakfast to kind of come for the outdoor bit. Um, and... Um, and then, you know, you were asking me like, how much was was this like, you know, p- programmed in advance. But no, it, everything kind of happened right very naturally. The thing just grew and grew and grew, and and then I started to um, uh, work with, you know, when I found, you know, some amazing people like Eden, who's my creative director, you know, some and, and Anna Reefer, who's who does a lot of the artwork for the label, and people I was hanging out with in LA, and I just need, I, I knew that these were the right people to work with me creatively on uh, this party, and we just started to kind of expand 
our ideas and then started to build more, bring more art to the art and, and crazy installations and immersive little moments in the parties and um, and just started to build, get lost up to what it is now, which is 10,000 people and seven stages and um, 95, 95 artists, but and, and, and a crazy playground. You know, now we have this like circus celebration. So, so let me ask you then. Let me ask you, what was the influence of the Burning Man experience in that development of the party? Was there something really tangible there that kind of built into it? Um, yeah, just just the um, well, like I said, it's still, it's still well. I think now my Burning Man experience, like I said, from day one was one hundred and ten friends and family coming with us to do this collectively and get lost started as a way to bring artists and our friends like together on the dance floor right kind of the same thing right? yeah, yeah yeah exactly so so um yeah and then just um i think the 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 immersive experiences and the 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 different rooms and um strange like moments and um building something just for people to take a photo of themselves in front of you know or building some <laughs> building something for them to for people to kind of climb inside of and discover a different universe on the other side um you know these kind of ideas you know um uh we brought that into into get lost and 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 have now uh, we've now turned that into this crazy mad part mad circus um and then, um, and then, uh, and then, but t- 2012, the end of 2012, I created Day Zero, which was, um, yeah, I want, yeah, let, let me, let me just ask a question about that in particular because, I mean, there's a section in the, in the book about your first going to Tulum. So tell me, tell that story if you don't mind, because <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'd been going to, I mean, spent a lot of time in Mexico over a number of years, had, um, some incredible friends there. I was first brought to Mexico City by Damien Romero, who runs Mutech, um, and uh, uh, and uh, he was largely responsible for introducing me to, to to a lot of people who I'm very happy to still call very close friends now. And um, so uh, I'd been spending a lot of time in Mexico, and a few people had like said to me about mentioned this place Tulum to me, uh, and. Uh, uh, it just kind of just something resonated. It just stayed in my mind, and I, I'd gone to play uh, for the for the first time in Playa del Carmen um, in a club there, and um, my first time there. I don't know many other DJs that had been there. Maybe some of the pro- more progressive DJs had been playing there, um, um, but um, the, the club's called the Santanera, and um, uh, yeah, and. Um, so I go to play there, and a friend of mine, Vicky from um, Manchester, uh, was ta- was travelling around uh, Central and South America at the same time, and we'd arranged to meet uh, in Playa del Carmen. And so we we um, she came to the party. Uh, we hung out, having having a proper laugh like, overnight, and then in the morning there was this like um, uh, horrific like um, storm. Uh, in player and uh, looking outside there was like the streets were just full of water it was impossible to kind of move anywhere uh and i was like you know what i think there's this place called tulum that's like not far from here should we like just go out and explore go out and have an adventure so we um we um 
yeah, we got a bunch of pills together. <laughs> we, we we got a driver, <laughs> and we uh, this was I think I'm thinking we're talking about two. Th- I'm going to say this is probably about two thousand and five, maybe uh, two thousand four, maybe. Uh, and um, and yeah, we 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 head up um, to 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 Tulum in a taxi, and. Um, Got to the beach and there was like literally nothing there. Maybe like two two hotels on the beach at that time. There was hardly any bars or restaurants or no. There was very very little setup. Uh, it was just pristine paradise. Uh, and we found this place like Esmeralda K, I think it was called, and um, there was like a hut on the beach. Um, had like a bed with a mosquito net the swinging bed like and, and steps out onto the beach uh and we just watched the lightning storm uh, uh through the night there was no electricity so um after the after my battery and my laptop ran out there was no we had no music <laughs> and uh we just I, I just sat there and i just completely fell in love with the place and i was like this I don't think I've ever been to anywhere more beautiful in my life, and uh, uh, you know you couldn't. I'd be in the middle of the the beach there, which you wouldn't, you can't imagine. Uh, you know now, if you if you if you're there now, you can't imagine it being as empty as it was back then. Um, uh, its growth has been like ridiculous over the past uh, fifteen, twenty years. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I just fell in love with the place, and then. Um, uh, I would then return like every year, but I kind of like wanted to try and keep it a little bit of a secret. Just <laughs> uh, I could see that like over the next couple of years, you can see like every time I go back, there'll be like, oh, there's new little hotels just been built there, or there's a new restaurants just been built there. Um, and I was like, okay, so the party scene is down in Playa del Carmen, but this place, Tulum, is like this is where we this is where we come to this is where we're going to come to recharge our batteries and just hang out, um, and um, and yeah, so so I would tell like close friends and um, artists and you know that I work with you know about the place and um, we'd um, we'd go we'd go to Tulum to hang out, we'd rent a house or something and. Um, just uh, have fun and then you know after a while people would be like asking me okay I need to do a party you should make a party here and I was very anti it I was like no 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 I I don't want this uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to bring electronic music to to this place it just feels too 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 mystical and uh, special to me I was like this is a place I'm feeling very at home at you know I, I don't think this is a place for 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 electronic music even really um uh but then you know after it was an impossible thing to keep secret for too long and uh right when when pliers just up the road it's uh yeah an impossible task to keep the two things apart i guess so when was the first when was the first day zero party then 2012 do you say well that was a that was so uh i'd been i've been doing these rebel rave parties as part of the the bpm festival which was in player and uh, uh, it's, I'll be honest with you. I must say it's a bit. It's a still. It's a bit of a misconception that um, that day, day zero is actually in Tulum. We we kind of say Tulum, but it's because everybody gathers in Tulum. But I've still never actually created a party in Tulum as such uh, myself. You know, t- uh, day zero is actually outside of Tulum. 
um, but um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I'd been doing these rebel rave parties uh, with um, the BPM festival. Um, part of the thing that I'd learned about trying to uh, you know trying to make our own experiences was we my party should always try to be in places that other people are not doing parties. So if we're doing a festival. Uh, set up like with BPM uh, they're doing like three or four shows a day across four four or five days or something and so all the venues are being used like once or twice a day by various different promoters or labels or whatever Uh, but my thing was always like okay I want our party to be it's unique and like it to feel like different and exclusive so uh, uh, we so we 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 used a venue called Alux Cave, uh, which was a pretty crazy spot, and we had this place, the Blue Venado, uh, that I discovered as well. And uh, so I got- yeah, let me let me ask you, let me sorry, let, let me jump in there and ask you a question about that specifically. How do you go about doing that? Like, if you're, I mean, do you have to go ahead and scout locations? Like, how does it practically work? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah, it's all about you know having f- friends in the area and uh, and like actively knowing that that's something that I want to do. So I would I would go and look at places. Um, I think my you know that my my job was like uh, as, as a journalist in my in a previous life. You know, having this in kind of investigative like nose, uh, you know, and uh, ability to kind of ask questions and not be shy about putting myself in situations that um, um, that maybe some other people maybe wouldn't go go into. You know, it's like so I, I've always kind of been open to to try, trying out new 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 things and and looking for new new places so um so yeah i'd walk into that open door you know <laughs> most people probably wouldn't <laughs> just to go and have a little look uh, and i think that and, and a lot of times you know you discover things or you meet people and you start talking to people and you know it's like oh i'm looking for something around here i need a space to hold about a thousand people uh, do you know of anywhere or, you know and you just start like looking around and you know Nine times out of ten, you find something, you know. Uh, but then, but in that case, I was like, uh, uh, that, uh, Alex Cave was actually presented to me by the BPM guys. They, they, I didn't actually know about that place, but I don't know if you went there. But it was a restaurant upstairs. But then you go downstairs, and it was this a proper cave, um, and uh, and, uh, and so. Um, that was, a, that was very unique. I think they thought no one else would want to use it, but when I saw it, I was like, this is the most perfect location for us. But then I found this uh, this Blue Venado place, um, which was uh, like a, 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 a beach space, but off the beaten track, like outside of Playa del Carmen. Um, and um, so, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I do that. But I also have a team of people that kind of will constantly kind of be hitting me up with now with ideas. Or, oh, I've just seen this place. Or, or, you know, I've got people that are out, like, scouting different countries for different ideas and stuff you know so um but uh yeah but day zero like um um i i'd come i i was starting to feel that the bpm guys were not really kind of like on the same wavelength as where i wanted to take my party and uh, um and we were always at the end of the bpm week so it always felt like we were like we weren't really being being like looked after as well as we probably could have been, and it was like everyone was tired from their team and stuff. And I was like, you know, this for me, this is not not cool because like you know, this is such an important thing. And I'm like having to work with other other organisers, and I'm reliant on on their their uh, ability to kind of 
be fresh and keep up with like you know you know to to help us make this event like really fucking special and uh i was feeling that 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 wasn't really happening so i um i was like i think i need to kind of move out move away from this and what i'd like to do my own thing but um i had this kind of i had a bit of a an awakening on the a, a spiritual awakening on the beach in tulum um around that time um and finally after about seven eight years of like hanging out or maybe even longer of like hanging out in tulum and not bringing electronic music to that part of the uh of the coast uh, i had this kind of spiritual awakening and i uh uh uh, and I felt that I was being like given the uh, and given the I was being offered the opportunity to 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 create something special for the area. Okay, let's put it that way. Can you be <laughs> can you be more specific about this incident? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I've mentioned this story a couple of times. I hope it's not going to bore people if they've heard it before. But um, I uh, okay, so I'd, 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 uh, I'd rented a house in Tulum the previous. Uh, we're talking about probably around t- summer 2011 hanging out with some friends I wasn't there for any particular party I was just there to take some downtime and um, had a bunch of friends in the house I'd, uh, I, I knew this uh, local like shaman this healer um, um, medicine man and uh uh, you know, he'd do like the cups on your back and um, you know pull out all the bad energy and and um, and uh, you know various different treatments, and um, so I offered everyone in my house, you know, the opportunity to have a session with him. And uh, there was a bunch of people, and uh, I was going to be the last one to go. And uh, so um, everyone had their treatment. They were, everyone's very happy and very chilled. And then it's my turn, and I've been waiting all day. And I was really excited to see him. And I lay down on the bed, and he puts his hands over my body, and he's like, "Oh, um, I can't." This I I don't there's something here like I don't I, I shouldn't be touching you right now. I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> He's like, oh, there's something wrong with you. Something. I'm like, um, I had a I'd had a uh, like a hernia operation like about uh, six weeks before, but it was still healing, I guess. But he picked up on that energy and he was like, yeah, um, you're still healing, like, and I I I, I don't want to interfere with the the healing process, um, so I shouldn't touch you. And I'm like. Okay, uh, is, can you suggest? Is, I was pissed. I was like, can you? Can, can, I was like, can you suggest? Uh, is there anything that I can do? Because I feel like I'm in need of a little bit of. I just needed a. I think I needed a little kind of bit of a. Uh, 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 I needed a mystical boost. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and um, and he said, okay, yeah, tonight is a full moon. Um, you need to uh, go out to the uh, go out onto the beach, uh, stand by the the ocean, with your legs apart um, between the hours of ten and eleven p.m. I don't know why specifically that hour, but uh, he said between the hours of ten and eleven p.m. You go out, legs apart, and you look up to the moon and you raise your hands and you point your you, you kind of hold your arms up um, to towards the moon. I'm like, yeah, and then what? And he's like, no, no, you just do that. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, so, um, so later that night, um, I'm on the beach with a bunch of friends. Um, um, there was um, Greg Thugfucker was with us. I think 
Johnny White was there from our department, um, and a bunch of friends, and 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 I just I just remembered at some point. Okay, I think maybe this is the time. I hadn't told anybody about this, by the way, um, and I just kind of got up and I walked off on my own. Um, down. We were all hanging out on the beach, but I just kind of got up and walked, walked walked up the beach a little bit further, and I I did as directed by um, my shaman friend. And as I put my hands up towards the moon, I felt this um, this electricity, like literally, like burning through my fingers, and like like an electric shock. But it was not a quick burst. This was like the most full on. Um, electrical current flowing through from my fingers throughout now kind of flowing through my entire body and I'm literally just standing there with my feet in the sand legs apart and my hands in the air and and I'm now what I can only imagine is literally connected to the universe right (laughs) and um, so after I'm literally in this position for five six minutes maybe Greg Thugfucker, who I mentioned earlier, Greg Orek, um, comes walking over towards me, and he's like, "Dude, are you all right?" Because <laughs> uh, the others must have just been, must have just been looking at me, thinking like, "What the fuck is he doing over there?" And, and so he's come over, and he's like, "Dude, are you all right?" And I'm like, "Greg, like, don't touch me, man." But I, I explained to him what what I was experiencing. So I said, "Greg, don't um, don't touch me." But 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 put put like come close to me and like maybe put your hand close to me and see if you can feel what I'm feeling. And um, so he, he he knelt down on the sand and he put one hand like in front of my stomach and one hand behind my back and he he got locked into this force field and now the two of us are now like connected to the universe and uh, and and I'm so pleased that that happened because I think that had I have been telling this story to people without him being there people would be just like this is nonsense mate <laughs> spiritual nonsense goes to Tulum one day to... <laughs> uh, so anyway so so yeah so 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 after a while like he's like he he's as baffled about this experience as I am and then after a while the the feeling just got too strong and I felt like I have to let this go because it was overpowering and I just kind of fell to my knees and um we kind of like sat talking about it for a minute and then we went and joined the other guys and um I explained to them or we explained to them what had just happened and tried to make sense of it and I think ultimately I was being offered um an opportunity i think i think i was being i think it was a it was a sign from someone or something or uh, that um maybe I, it was time for me to kind of like create an event that would um tap into the reality of the what the the mayans really you know um built this place for and um and uh so with uh, the utmost respect, uh, I, I tried to create an event around the end of the Mayan calendar that was coming up on the 21st of December of that year, 2012. And um, 
Um, uh, this the, the, the end of their mind calendar cycle. Many people believe was like the, the Armageddon, the end of the world. But for me, I took it as like a, an opportunity for a new beginning, you know, and uh, and an opportunity to to gather the best party people from around the world and celebrate um, the Mayan culture and traditions and folklore and the dancing and the the, uh, the myth myth the creation myth stories and. Um, and to to marry ancient civilization with like uh, with a, a a new music and arts festival, and and I felt that at that point I had the great amazing team of people around me, and um, we we could we could go on to create something very special for the for the region that would um, uh, would would be a, a, a beautiful uh, experience, and it was only supposed to be that one off event, um, but. Um, it was so mind-blowingly incredible that we uh, then decided to bring it back every year in the first week of January, and uh, and Day Zero is now into its like tenth or eleventh year. Nice. Let me, let me ask you about the 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 event in particular, or the experience in particular. Were you, were you able to go back and talk to the shaman about it? Oh yes, uh, I, I did actually, and um, and uh, he kind of gave me like just like. A knowing smile. <laughs> um, I asked him very specifically about it, actually, and uh, um, and um, yeah, he just didn't uh, he didn't really say anything, but he said quite 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 a lot with his eyes. <laughs> he kind of like looked upwards um, to the sky and then looked at me and smiled, and I. I don't know. I, I I don't know what to read into that, but um, I like to feel that there was some magic involved there, and um, and um, you know, and it, the difficult thing now, of course, is that it's a it's a it's become a very successful event. It's a beautiful event. People from all over the world come to join us um, for this particular event in in January every year, and um, the difficult thing is to to how to maintain. The, the the initial belief system for why I started this in the first place, you know, and I'm very conscious of doing that all the time. Uh, we work very closely with um, with the authorities in the area, and we give back a lot to the to the community, the, the local communities. Um, we we employ hundreds of local people. Um, we now. Um, um, sub, uh, we now sponsor the um, um, the music um, school, uh, music classes in a local school. Um, we do a lot for the children in the area. Um, you know, and during during the pandemic, for example, we were we were um, subsidising kind of um, 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 packages for people who weren't able to work and stuff, and you know, the food packages and. Um, blankets and food parcels and stuff for the local community and um yeah we you know i feel very closely uh, aligned and with 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 the region and um and um you know it's not without its problems paul in all honesty it's a very difficult place to make an event of this size but um i know for certain we don't want it to become bigger than it is you know work it easily you know, packing more and more people, but we uh, we want to keep it at the size it's at, which feels safe and and um, and um, we don't want to be greedy, you know, and put more and more people in. It's uh, we just create something very special. And just to give you a little example about how this how the magic continues, um, um, 
no, two, two stories actually. Um, one, one is that um, um, with the weather, um, it's always a bit of a difficult time of year. You know, first couple of weeks of January, it's generally summer there, but you never know. It could that you could hit rainy, some rainy days, and of course, being out in the jungle, um, you know, all day rain could really screw us up. You know, um, and so for the week. Before the event every year, you know, my whole team are like closely watching the weather forecast. And to be honest, pretty much every year, rain is expected on the day in advance of the, the event. You know, we, we'd be checking it, and it's been like three days, three days to go. It's saying it's 50% kind of thunderstorm and rain between, you know, such and such an hour. Then the next day, 60%. <laughs> rain precipitation. What do you call it? Precip- precip- precipitation? No, was it? Precipitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you're watching these like the the wind apps and the you know the windsurfing apps. Apparently, they're the best ones and uh, very, <laughs> right. various weather channels and like. And then there's like two days to go and it's seventy percent rain and like uh, and then it's like oh we're fucking done for here. What are we going to do? And like so we get prepared. Like, we've got coverings for you know the, the important things just in case. And then, so a couple of years ago, this was happening, and it was looked like it was virtually a hundred percent chance that it was going to rain for like hours during the event. But what actually happened was, we opened the door, we opened the, the gates at four p.m. It rained from, it started to come down at one p.m. We were having the artist lunch, not too far from the the venue. Uh, it started to piss down like, but. Buckets, right? Like buckets. This could ruin a festival, right? Uh, it stopped raining at 4 p.m., just as we were about to open the gates, <laughs> right. right? But we did have to kind of hold the gates for about an hour while we kind of like, you know, cleaned up as much as we could. Right? Not me personally, but, but you know, my team did. And, um, and, um, and then it was supposed to continue to rain throughout the night. And it, 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 did, it didn't. And, um, we have um, another shaman that I've been working with for m- many years, Carlos the Reindeer, and he's uh, he's he's legit. This guy, he's le- legit local. Um, he's he's the magic man, and you, you may have seen him on some films that we've released. You know, sitting talking with me and stuff. But this guy is legit, and um, uh, he he blesses the, the 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 location before we we open the doors, and he uh, he asks for for various things throughout the event. You know, from the the, the gods in the north and the south and the east and the west and and uh, he asked for you know good vibes and good weather and you know and that we should all kind of you know dance together and be one and all the rest of it and uh, um, and um, you know he specifically was talking about the weather at the beginning of the party that particular year because we were all very worried about it and it had just rained for four hours before we opened the doors and um, so it didn't rain and. Uh, I'm closing the festival back to back with uh, DJ Tennis and DJ Three, the, which you know we do this thing wizardry together, the three of us, um, and um, we're playing the last track, which I believe um, was a Jamie XX thing, I think, um, um, and uh, and uh, literally two minutes before the end of the the last track at day zero that year, suddenly a little sprinkle of rain started to come down. It, it held out for the entire 14 hours of the event and just started to sprinkle its the, the, the rain just at the end of the track. And there's some video footage actually of, of that, this moment. Um, I'm in tears because it was just like, 
it, it was it was beyond my comprehension that that this was actually happening. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, and like, if you don't believe in magic, then you know the. the it takes an, it takes something like this to kind of show you that you know there are other forces at work out there. Um, I'll tell you another funny story. It's on my mind because um, you know I'm sure you've read about Michael Beebe. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, unfortunately, he's sick right now, and um, it's just been announced that um, you know he's got he's going through some very um, serious. Um, medical issues right now uh, it's all, all out there in the public so I, we, I can feel for, free to talk about it right now but I'll tell you something funny that happened because uh, it's on my mind because he's on my mind right now and um, so I don't know if you know Michael if you met him before I actually haven't no but I obviously know all of him and yeah and I read the stuff about him so yeah yeah so he's a he's a wonderful human being and he kind of broke out onto our scene just a few years ago and now he's like at the height of his career and he's like sick right now so it's a very um, difficult moment but um, so cut back to a couple of years ago we're um, at Coachella and uh, he and I both playing same stage, the Yuma tent. And we had a, uh, had a, uh, and then afterwards we're, we're, we're hanging out. We've got a mutual um, bunch of friends that we, we, we both hang out with, and so we're all together hanging out. And we're going to play at this after party that Framework have organised in this uh, uh, air, air, like air, airport like hangar um, in the desert. And um, the idea is that me and Michael are going to play back to back. And um, so we're at this spot, and it's time for us to play. And um, I don't know what happened, but he just fucked up the mix really badly. (laughs) (laughs) And it it happens to the best of us, right? (laughs) It happens. It happens to the best of us, right? And uh, but it was like one of those when. He's trying to get it back, but everything he tries just makes it that little bit worse. And it's not. <laughs> right, yeah. And I was, been there I was like, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I was like, you know, we were in very, very high spirits, having a really good time together that night. We were having a proper bromance, and um, so I, I had been just about to, you know, he's in the mix, so I'm like, got my headphones on, and I'm like queuing up, you know, the next track or whatever. But because I'm, this thing is happening and it's getting worse and worse. I kind of take my headphones off and stand back <laughs> get out of the way yeah, yeah get out of the way of this one <laughs> I certainly don't want anyone to think it's me <laughs> so so um, so yeah anyway so it, it goes, just goes from bad to worse and then and then we're laughing and and then okay it's over it's done he's like got rid of the, the track he's like now his track's playing and uh, but as an extra joke, because I like to have you know take the piss a little bit when I'm playing with friends or whatever, I decided it would be a really good idea just to pull down the channel to complete silence and just shout out <laughs> to a thousand people, rubbish, pointing to my... <laughs> right. Cut cut to two years later, this last January, we're at day zero and. I'm cl- I'm I'm playing um, in the morning, and oh, I fuck up a mix really badly. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I can say that this doesn't happen very often. But this one was really bad, and 
I turn around and I didn't even know he was there. There's Michael Beebe in the booth standing right behind me. And he's like, he got this like Cheshire cat grin on his face. And he's like pretending like he's smoking a cigar. <laughs> and he's just like nodding at me like in front of everyone in the booth I had no idea he was there anyway that was just a, a nice little kind of Michael Beebe day, day zero story um, okay. yeah anyway I wish him all the best and um, I'm sure he's going to come back fighting fit yeah yeah I hope so absolutely really difficult situation but yeah fingers crossed for the guy absolutely yeah for sure 100% okay so yeah we've we've done well over an hour on on events, which was not my intention, but that's okay. Got some good stories out of you on, on, on the way. It's your, it's your podcast. You take take it wherever you want to go. Do, I mean, do, uh, do I talk too much, or is this normal for people? <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is great. This is great. I'm just, the more stories, the stories the better. But but I do want to talk about labels because we are ostensibly talking about twenty years across town in this conversation. So, oh, by the way, can I just say sorry to interrupt you, but um, um, congratulations to you. You've twenty years of hot flush as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How are you feeling your twentieth year? Well, <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? It's a bit of a um, slightly ambivalent, you know. Like it's it's a bit weird that it's been twenty years because that's a long time. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Does it make is it making you feel old? I mean, yeah. I was just going to say, I think we're similar kind of age. So it's like basically in the entirety of an adult life to this point, right? Spent doing this thing, which we couldn't really imagine starting out with it. But, you know, I guess here we are, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the question I had was really about, sort of about that. I mean, like, what's the difference between running a label now and between running a label then? Because, I mean, one of the things actually that distinguishes me from you or you from me is that you actually knew what you were doing when you started your label because you'd front read work for... I had some idea. <laughs> you'd worked for, you, know, you, you mentioned you'd work for F- FFRR. And uh, I think previous to that, you'd also work for labels. So, but what, what are the differences now, primarily, do you think, between running a label today or maybe even starting a label today and starting a label back in 2003. Yeah, well, I mean, it's no longer a real business, right? So you you definitely couldn't rely on the fruits of your labours to earn a living um, these days, I think, um, uh, running a record label. You know, I think that 20 years ago, we were... Uh, selling, you know, quite quite a bunch of vinyl, you know, and um, and the, as everybody knows, the 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 the, the unit price of a of a single record far outweighs that of a single download, um, and um, so there was there was a business uh, uh, involved back then, um, you know. These days, you have to be selling millions of uh, uh, of Units, uh, inverted commas, you know, to yeah, right. to, 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 <laughs> quite, to, to quite. yeah, to to make uh, make a dent, uh, make it worthwhile financially, and I think that's why we probably spent more time talking about events than than the actual label, because I think that that's you know the events is where you know you can um, you know see some return. Um, um, what, what's the main main differences between now and then? I don't know. Listen, I mean, I still. I still have the same fire in my belly for for finding new artists and um, helping to steer people's you know early careers and be there for advice giving and uh, and you know one of my favourite things is to is to 
connect people um, and you know come up with ideas um, for where people can take their music and their it's funny actually I think we we share one we have something in common you and I actually just thinking about it you worked with the slaughter mob didn't you we did yeah absolutely okay I I, I did a record with the slaughter mob right but um back did in you? um wow. yeah uh, so when I was doing city rockers I set up like a a vinyl only um label called vertical drop it lasted about a year I released about five or six singles um and it was on that kind of precipice of like breakbeat grime dubstep and techno it was like in that in that zone and I came across the slaughter mob it was probably around 2000 year 2000 wow okay uh, yeah yeah and I came across the slaughter mob and um I suggested to them that they should work with um, Cecile, the Jamaican um, reggae artist, and um, and I, I I hooked that up, and that was one of the early experiences actually that I had in you know, having an idea and actually seeing it through, and and, and I think that the reason I bring that up is because uh, I think that like I said that was one of the early experiences I had, and it's something that I still do today and still thrive on that, and I think that um, having a label for me is about thinking outside the box um, and um, developing uh, ideas. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's I love it when people come to me with a fully finished vision of their their art, you know, there's nothing better and it makes my life so much easier. But I also really thrive on, you know, someone coming to me and saying, okay, look, this is the music I'm making. I'm not sure where it fits in the world. I'm not sure how I'm going to get noticed. I'm like, you know, uh, and then I'll, you know, come up with some creative ideas and, you know, set about helping to launch the career of somebody, you know, and from a little acorn of an idea um, can, you know, can, can grow, you know, something really special. So um, I don't know, there's, you know, I have a, a core team of like, there's four of us that run Crosstown Rebels, but then of course there's uh, the, 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 uh, the distribution people, the PR, and the the, the other outsourced um, people, the marketing and stuff. But there's a core, there's a core of four of us. We there, there were four of us when I started it back back 20 years ago. Not the same four, but there was um, you know. So not much has really changed. Um, I still really love doing this. I think there was a moment recently when Ed, my manager, reminded me that. Um, it was actually last year. He reminded me, it was like you know, it's going to be twenty years of Crosstown Rebels next year. Um, you should do something. And uh, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, um, mm, no. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Just, I was the same. Totally. Yeah, that was making me feel. It's making me feel old. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of anxiety there, right? It's like, uh, I don't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I don't know about this. But then he was like, no, oh, man, like not many people. Um, can say that they've had 20 years running an independent record label, electronic music label, in, in this day and age. Um, and two of us are sitting yeah. here now. There's not many, not many more. Um, so, um, so he persuaded me, and and, um, and I think that this is like testament to you know where I'm at as a you know with with this whole thing right now. In that I 
um, I had ha- been having kind of some thoughts that like, maybe maybe it's time to pack it in. Like maybe like maybe I can just like be nice to spend more time with the family and um, you know not have to be you know dealing with uh, you know young artists so much. You know? right. <laughs> when I could, I've got you know young children, I could be like taking care of a lot more. Um, and uh, so, uh, but then uh, he kind of persuaded me, and I was like, okay. So um, within. Within a couple of days of like thinking, like, well, let's ignore the twenty years, and I'm just, I might just pack it in. Um, I'd um, come up with a concept of a uh, uh, compilation album uh, with like unreleased gems and new remixes, and uh, a t- two hundred and forty-page book, uh, a movie that's uh, still being worked on, and a ten-date global tour to celebrate. Uh, these 20 years and actually it's been one of the highlights of my life to be honest the past few months it's been fucking amazing I've so, so enjoyed every minute of it um, so so yeah and then and then the next thing that happened was I, I came across some incredible music over the past two or three months and uh, just signed a bunch of new music that I'm just going to be releasing well into next year oh, so I go. guess I'm not going anywhere <laughs> I'm not going anywhere just yet <laughs> yeah totally so you mentioned there like you know bringing, bringing through new artists and you know that kind of exp- I guess the kind of that aspect of A&R which is something else that I yeah I really enjoyed that side of it too and you've also talked about you know many times in this conversation you've referenced the crew referenced your you know team and you know what you were saying up the front about how the you know the various things that run through Joe's piece is like is that one of those is that one of those things that kind of like community aspect to what you've done Throughout your yeah career, I, th- I think so. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Joe actually makes that makes that the connection, the specific connection. But yeah, but you have. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Just in, um, just in about how you how you you know articulate it yourself, you know. Yeah, I, well, I th- I th- I think that the the there comes a point when you realise you can't do everything on your own, and you need to have people around you that you can trust and rely upon. You need reliable, trustworthy people that are uh, that are with you on this journey because you know, like, you know, it can be it can be a pretty fucking lonely existence being a DJ, right? Um, and um, you know, for all the the love and the, the the incredible shows that I play and all the love that I receive and the support and the you know, I still love DJing so much and. You know, when you get back to your hotel, you can be a pretty fucking like lonely like existence. You know, you're just oh, well, that's um, that was a big high, and now now down to um, you know just um, being a mm. hotel yeah. room. You know what I mean? It's like um, so um, so I, I think that I um, just the idea of like you say community having friends around but only only working with friends really um um is is an important factor and um yeah i think that's really um once i realized that and that, um i kind of made sure that all the people around me are really solid um and uh, yeah, and you share, you know, share just to share the all, both the ups and the downs of this business and this life. Uh, you know, it's important to have people around you that you yeah. love and respect. Yeah, absolutely. You. Okay, so what were the things then, that from in your mind, that Joe managed to uh, connect? What were the dots that you had uh, coming out of that? Well, there was some, there was a, like little incidents. There was like something that. Um, 
Well, actually, the, one, the first the first time I went to like a rave, I was about thirteen years old, and as I walked in on my own, these two girls who were probably about eighteen or nineteen kind of took me under their wing. They must have just seen me there on my own, like a young kid, like knows nothing, and um, they kind of took me under their wing for the day and and like just looked after me. And I think that 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 was something that I kind of now kind of try to take into my you know right yeah and that's an A&R thing as well right that's the kind of sort of almost kind of parental mentality that you have around artists that you signed yeah exactly yeah 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 exactly and um um I don't know what else like um um well he picked up on something I told him this story about um the first time I went to Burning Man, you know, just going briefly back to Burning Man, like one of the things that people do at Burning Man is to create their, uh, like an alter ego. Um, and you can use it how you want, and, you know, it's up to you to, you know, define it or do whatever you want with it. But I, I, I decided to take it to the nth degree <laughs> and uh, I created this character called Dr. Whiskers who you can read about in the book and uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I kind of went out as Dr. Whiskers in full kind of clown regalia he's like this uh, he's a weird mystic uh, clown he's Dr. Whiskers and uh, and um, uh, yeah so I went into this like hall of mirrors in Burning Man and and, and uh, I, I, I was like in, in character uh, <laughs> and uh, I started to freak out like looking at myself in the mirrors and like just like but it was like just it was like for effect you know it was like just like a fun thing to do I was like looking at myself going oh no um, uh, and uh, as I was walking out this this random guy just said to me you can't hide from your true <laughs> self buddy <laughs> and uh, and I think that Joe kind of picked up that and kind of made some other connections with that in the in the in the book and uh, you know just like little things that have happened in my life that have like he's like kind of drawn you know you know but brought it back you know oh but that's yeah, that probably kind of hearts back to that when that when you when that happened for you when you were age two and a half right <laughs> yeah, totally. um, yeah. cool well listen last question just give me a few key crosstown records. That you consider to be important. Oh wow! <laughs> How long have you got? I thought I thought I thought we were winding up. <laughs> um, oh mate, um, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that, that there's the obvious one. Yeah, yeah, just just the ones that, that jump out to you. There must be, yeah. I I know, I know how it is when I get asked this question. Which are the ones that jump, that spring to mind? Yeah, I th- I mean, there's so 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 many, but I think ultimately, I think. I think our department without you has to be the one of the most kind of um, um, one of the ones that like just says Crosstown Rebels. You know what I mean? Um, um, just when you hear that baseline, you just that you just I I for me I just I see my past. I see the 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 I see the 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 the, the essence of what Crosstown Rebels is about in that record. So um, yeah, but you know, mate, there's been. We've released so much music, and I'm so very proud of all, all the people I've worked with and continue to work with. And um, I'm very thankful to everyone for you know trusting me to you know release their music and and look after their music and uh, and their art and uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, that's we're at 20 years on and still doing it. Yeah, well, congrats on that, mate. It's a it's a Herculean effort. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and likewise to you. Awesome. Well, yeah, Damien, thanks for your time. It's been awesome. Pleasure, Paul. Thank you, man. Take it easy.
Yeah, that was Damien Lazarus. So good hearing about those parties that they do in detail. Damien's got a real knack of, I guess, providing a kind of environment for people to have a good time in, right? And I think that's basically when you break it down, all any of us is trying to achieve here in this area of the music industry. Really, that's kind of our purpose is for people to have a party and enjoy themselves. And Damien absolutely does that in an extremely effective way through the music, but also, as I said, through the parties and through his general approach to stuff. So yeah, awesome. And it was great to have him on. So really good one this week. Really enjoyed it. It Over two hours, I think, on the timer right now, which is fine. That's good. That's what we should be, really. If I was doing my job properly, we'd be over two hours every week, maybe. I have to say, we've got a great episode coming next week, which I've already recorded. So yeah, hold tight for that. And um, yeah, as I mentioned up the top, if you want to support us directly, then you can do on Patreon, patreon.com slash official. Either of the two options would be much appreciated if you're enjoying what we're doing on the show. I know lots of you are, so <laughs> in increasing numbers as well. So yeah, please do via Patreon. If you don't want to, that's also absolutely fine. Don't get me wrong. Leave us a review or a rating instead. It's not really equivalent, but it's, you know, the best you can do, I suppose, without actually directly forking out any money. So yeah, wherever you listen to this podcast, hit that five-star button. Follow the Spotify playlist to listen to that art department track, amongst other things. And join us on the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. Like I said, it's a hot flush server, but there is a Patreon area and there are channels relating to the podcast directly. So yeah, hope to see you in there if you've got anything to say. Right, I'm done here, I think. As I said, hold tight for the episode next week because it's another good one. And I'll see you back here, same time, same place next week for the next episode. Next episode that I just mentioned of the Not a Diving Podcast. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.